Welcome to the Fiber for Breakfast podcast, a series that discusses fiber as the critical infrastructure for today's growing broadband needs. Listen in as Gary Bolton, CEO and President of the Fiber Broadband Association, speaks with industry thought leaders and experts about connectivity issues and the impact on the remote workplace. I hope you enjoy today's discussion, which will start momentarily. And remember, subscribe and like this podcast on your favorite platform. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Fiber Broadband Association's Fiber for Breakfast. We're now in our 14th episode of 2023. Before we kick off, I'd like to thank Wesco, the platinum sponsor of Fiber Breakfast, and our gold sponsor, Graybar. Last Thursday, the Fiber Broadband Association had another sold-out crowd at our regional Fiber Connect workshop in Oklahoma City. This was a great event where we were able to put a strong focus on tribal broadband, and we are greatly appreciative for the tribal members from the Choctaw, Kickapoo, Muskegee, uh, Nation Creek, and Sac and Fox Nations, among others. It was also great to hear updates from the state broadband offices. In Oklahoma City, we had a great panel um, from the Oklahoma, Kansas, and Louisiana broadband offices. In addition, we did a two-day train-to-trainer class with one of our largest classes of future fiber optic technician trainers. Our next regional Fiber Connect workshop will be held on May 16th in Austin, Texas. You're not going to want to miss that. Please register early because the hotels and the workshops sell out quickly. Last Wednesday, the Fiber Broadband Association, along with research analyst firm Cartesian, held a webinar on developing a rational methodology to setting the beads program's extremely high cost threshold or high cost per location threshold. The setting of this extremely high cost threshold will be very important as each state determines the delicate balance between ensuring their citizens get fiber and ensuring coverage in these extremely high cost areas. If you miss this webinar, you can watch the replay by going to the FBA website under events. That brings us to today's Fiber Breakfast session with Mary Jander of uh, Futurum and Debbie Kish the Vice President of Research at Fiber Broadband Association on Communities Thrive with Fiber Broadband. Last week on Fiber Breakfast, we heard from Angela D. Bennett from NTI for a session on Internet for All addressing the digital equity gap in the US. And Angie discussed NTI's $2.75 billion digital equity program. It actually has three programs. That has a state planning grant program. It's 60 million. It goes to all 56 or 56 states and territories and tribal communities to develop digital equity plans. And then these plans will be submitted to NTI in early 2024. And then the funding to implement these plans will be the $1.44 billion state capacity grant program and the $1.25 billion competitive grant program that's open to local municipalities, nonprofits, community anchor institutions that serve the covered populations under the act. This brings us to today's Fiber Breakfast session with Mary Jander of Futurum and Debbie Kish, the Vice President of Research at Fiber Broadband on Communities Thrive with Fiber Broadband. So Mary Jander is a Senior Analyst and Editor at Futurum. Mary has worked in the technology journalism and, and, and as an analyst for more than 30 years. She was a senior member of the editorial staff at the McGraw-Hills Data Communications before joining the founding team, along with Scott Ranovich, her partner, 
of the Watershed Online Publication, Light Reading in 1999. She subsequently held senior editorial jobs in Light Reading spin-off technology publications, including Bite and Switch and Future, Future Cities. She joined Futurium in 2019. And Debbie Kish, is the Vice President of Research and Workforce Development for the Fiber Broadband Association. Prior to joining FBA, Debbie was a research analyst at Gartner for about 20 years. And in her role at FBA, she uh, is leading research initiatives, as well as the FBA's team leading the building of OPTIC, which um, is our optical telecommunications installer certification. Um, and it's um, the sort of the Fiber Broadband Association Certification Program. Debbie is also on the TIRAP, Telecommunications Industry Registered Apprenticeship Advisory Committee. So welcome, Mary and Debbie. And for audience, please type in your questions as we go, and we'll work them in the Q&A at the end. With that, I'll turn things over to Debbie. Thanks, Gary. Um, so we had started a body of research to show how fiber communities thrive um, based on largely a professor lobo with tennessee chattanooga tennessee being kind of the the example where you know fiber shows that when it comes to a community or when it's deployed in a community it improves lives social lives um, connects people to telehealth and education and each other ultimately but it also um, brings in industries so some communities that had been losing industries over some years had uh, deployed fiber either through a municipality or um, a service provider and businesses came in and the the community thrived people got jobs so fiber in a community also creates workforce. So Chattanooga, Tennessee was the example, the, the good example, which brought in 9,612 jobs or somewhere in that neighborhood. But that number has increased to over 10,000 since then. And that was a 10 year, uh, that, that uh, Chattanooga's had fiber in the community for over 10 years. It also served as a smart grid project, or it was the foundation of the smart grid. Um, it has tested performance advantages. You'll hear Mary when she starts talking about the particular um, research or the community that we're presenting today, talk about how you know technolo technologically speeds increase um, with uh, the communities that are connecting to the internet and how it's best suited in rural areas. So today we're gonna to talk about or present Westfield, Massachusetts. Uh, Mary and her team at Futurium had um, done a lot of research and talked to a lot of the people within uh, Westfield, Massachusetts. It was founded in 1969. There's over 40,000 people or over, or over 40,000 inhabitants. It's also known as Whip City and it's known as Whip City because it was known for um, manufacturing buggy whips with the horses. And also uh, bricks and cigars were some of the main industries there. But like other cities and towns, uh, things grew. So it was also known for boilers and radiators and textile machinery and wood products and precision tools. So the industry grew or the, the town grew in terms of industries. The funny thing, though, not funny, but I thought it was kind of neat that um, the tagline for Westfield, Massachusetts is 
business focused and community driven. So the people in the community really take advantage of the resources out there. It's kind of, or it's been described as a hamlet. Um, so it's got vineyards and beaches and roadside markets where people will go and buy farm fresh produce or eggs, you know, so there's a lot of, there's a lot of industry out there and it's a very, a very tight knit community and people really do know each other. Um, so I, I find it to be kind of a, a, a neat part of Massachusetts. So today we're going to talk about Whip City Fiber and I will hand it over to Mary at this point and she can tell you about the project. Thanks, Debbie. Um, yes, Whip City Fiber actually was established um, after the um, Westfield Gas and Electric Utility um, had opened up, uh, had allowed it to start a uh, fiber optic pilot project in the city in about 2016. But prior to that, uh, Westfield Gas and Electric had had its own fiber projects. It had installed, uh, you know, a um, a fiber ring in around 20 uh, in in 2005 that encompassed the uh, municipal buildings and and one or two of the businesses in town. And it also had its own, um, uh, you know, SCADA uh, utility. Uh, network, which was based on fiber and supervisory control and uh, data acquisition. And anyway, um, at around the, uh, also Westfield Gas and Electric had asked, acted as its own ISP um, early in the 90s, in the mid 90s. And they had done that by um, leasing uh, internet connectivity uh, and providing DSL to um, subscribers in town through uh, you know through a couple of the incumbent uh, carriers locally, but by about 2013, the speeds of uh, DSL cable and satellite uh, internet were really um, you know getting people down, and also the fact that it was intermittent. Their satellite especially wasn't reliable, so the lack of reliability and the the high cost really had people talking about uh, potential solutions. So. By about 2015, Westfield Gas and Electric petitioned the um, Municipal Light Board, which is its governing body, um, to ask whether it could start a fiber optic uh, pilot project. And in 2016, the uh, permission was given, and also um, the Municipal Light Board allowed uh, WG&E to uh, petition the city council at Westfield for a larger grant to support a full-scale fiber rollout. And by 2017, that grant was approved. And uh, to back up just a second though, in 2016, um, prior to the uh, establishment of the, uh, of the bond, WG&E spun off Whip City Fiber as a separate division and uh, made a loan of $2 million uh, to fund the initial pilot project. And that was so successful that uh, the permission for the bond, as I said, was granted in 2016. And that was about $15 million toward a uh, fiber coverage uh, project that would span about 70% of Westfield. And anyway, by 2017, uh, Westfield Gas, I'm sorry, Whip City Fiber 
had begun to um, introduce the idea of fiber to the community, and they did so through a series of uh, ads in the local paper, billboards, and they also went out on community outreach uh, sessions. So at libraries and in um, elementary schools, they would have an evening where they had uh, ice cream or cupcakes. And it turned out that uh, people really had a lot of questions about what will the fiber trenching do to my lawn? And they had other, what, what can I, how will I benefit from fiber? And uh, Whip City Fiber was able to uh, tell the community members that fiber was not only uh, faster, especially for video streaming and other kinds of, um, you know, uh, you know, home uses, but also that it would be future proof so that in the future, uh, greater speeds and capabilities could be added just through a software upgrade. So the pilot was so successful that um, you know, it started to make money and the money went back into the fiber project. In the meantime, in about 2018, um, looking at the timeline here, the state of Massachusetts um, issued a request for proposal because they had uh, wanted to introduce a better internet uh, infrastructure to what's called the hill towns of the Berkshire Mountains. And these hill towns were really losing population. There was almost an outmigration because um, people would go to college and they wouldn't move back. The children had no choice but to go to lot, go to the library if they wanted to use the internet for their for their homework. So it was sort of like an internet desert, and the only option uh, was mostly satellite and some DSL. So um, Whip City Fiber actually responded to this RFP with a proposal of its own, which was that it would go into these communities and provide consulting services to tell them how to start their own fiber infrastructure, just like they had in Westfield, and give them guidance as to how to get it funded and where to, where to start, um, how to get, uh, get it going. And of the 40 towns that uh, were asked to respond to this, uh, 20 went with the Whip City Fiber proposal. And as a result of that, Whip City Fiber got into the consulting business with these um, partner communities, and they petitioned uh, and received a uh, $10 million 10-year federal funding grant from the uh, Connect America Phase II um, initiative. And uh, by 2019, those projects had begun in the so-called hill towns, which are called partner communities. And um, the hill towns, were, the partner communities were able to start their own uh, fiber um, they were able to uh, establish Whip City Fiber as their ISP, even though they actually owned the networks, the communities owned the networks themselves. And Whip City Fiber during the uh, pandemic played a, a really important role because they were able to extend fiber to homes that uh, didn't have it already by using something called a team box. And the team box uh, actually contained the uh, optical connections for the fiber network. And they would uh, connect on one side to the fiber network and on the other to, um, there would be a, a connection out to the home that could be actually passed through a window and plugged in by the, uh, the router, which was external to the house, could be plugged in by the uh, resident 
and there would be fiber until uh, the pandemic lifted and they were able to get uh, fully installed. So that really helped people who needed to work from home. It helped children who had to go to school virtually. And uh, it really, I think it heightened the, um, you know, the reputation even more of Westfield uh, Whip City Fiber with the community itself. And so now uh, looking at the present, um, Westfield is going to be completely served with uh, Whip City Fiber by 2025, that's the plan. And there will also be a push to get uh, municipality uh, buildings and perhaps some of the, some of the businesses onto um, 10 gig fiber through a software upgrade. Um, Westfield now has symmetrical single gig fiber and fiber service. So it's one of the only communities in that area that, that does have that. And as far as the benefits, you could uh, move the slide, please. We wanted to just address for a moment the challenges that came along the way. Um, when Whip City Fiber started to talk about uh, having a uh, the fiber infrastructure in 2017, they got a lot of pushback from Comcast, which was the incumbent ISP. And uh, Comcast actually took out a billboard and ads in the paper uh, talking about how Whip City Fiber was a flash in the pan. It wasn't going to be useful to the community. Don't they want to rely on a more established uh, cable provider? But um, with all with the sessions that Whip City Fiber was having at schools and libraries, they were able to tell the community that um, you know not only the advantages of fiber over cable, which were significant, but they were also to uh, also pointed out that Whip City Fiber was an ISP that was peopled and uh, run by local local people, community members, and that local presence really uh, went a long way to giving confidence to uh, to the community. They felt that uh, if anything went wrong, they would be able to call someone they all, that there was a member of uh, the community in Westfield and also that someone would come out and it wouldn't take uh, two weeks to get service. So those, um, you know, that challenge was met. Um, Make Ready was another, another challenge and that uh, pertained to the utility poles, which always have um, electric, um, electric cable um, and also telephone cable. And between them, the fiber has to go uh, according to very specific distances that are measured with, um, with lasers. And so Make Ready was sort of a very, uh, at least with the utility poles, was a very, um, you know, labor intensive and very careful procedure. So that, uh, you know, that actually, that took some time. Uh, meanwhile, over six miles of fiber were run underground as well. So they had both, you know, overground and underground uh, fiber connections. This just uh, shows you a couple of the talking points we, we, we had, uh, you know, a few minutes ago. Um, in one community, just to give you an idea of why people were complaining, um, in Massachusetts, 43% of download rates for cable and DSL were below 100 megabit per second, and 23 were less than 50 megabits per second. And upload speeds were really, were, were even worse. Um, in Falmouth, Massachusetts, for example, uh, DSL upload was lower than a meg, and cable was lower than 15 meg for almost 80% of customers. So um, the broadband gap was also a problem that was exacerbated by 
population migration from Boston uh, and New York to rural Massachusetts. So we've seen a lot of people, especially with work from home, uh, tending to move out of the cities out to rural areas. And they want to have internet uh, capabilities when they get there. And so they don't want to see a broadband gap um, when, when they arrive. They don't want to hear about DSL or, or satellite. Okay, so just to summarize the quantifiable benefits, um, Westfield was able to uh, benefit from the work from home trend, uh, you know, post pandemic. And to give you an example, um, after, after the pandemic in April 2022, um, there were at least in, on LinkedIn, there were advertisements for 4,654 work from home jobs. And that was for a population of over 40,000 in Westfield. And in nearby Hartford, Connecticut, uh, there were 4,600 um, work from home jobs advertised for a population of almost 900,000. So you can see that Westfield really had a benefit, um, particularly in the areas of healthcare and education where uh, work from home and, and also the higher um, the higher bandwidth really facilitated virtual meetings and, and um, made it possible for residents to work from home. So uh, the total we estimated was that um, the job value introduced in Westfield was $88 million a year. And that was, uh, you know, given very conservative, conservative estimates of salary levels, um, even part-time salary levels, and uh, also uh, considering that 42% is the take rate for um, ISP customers of Whip City Fiber in Westfield. And it's, a, it's over 70% in the outlying districts in the partner communities. So they have a very good take rate. Uh, West, uh, Whip City Fiber has a very good take rate. This uh, describes what happened. Uh, as I said, uh, the work from home jobs were disproportionately uh, available in Westfield compared with um, you know, larger areas post-pandemic. And uh, just to wrap up, I wanted to give a couple of other quick benefits. Um, education in Westfield is uh, the schools are mostly, there is at least uh, 17 schools and they're all able to have a Chromebook because of the fiber. The, the individual students are able to be issued a Chromebook that helps them with their, with their education. And fibers also help the housing market. It's attractive to people who are coming in and really want uh, to know what kind of internet do you have? And they're able to, the realtor is able to say fiber, we have fiber. And one realtor told me that that's quite a selling point. And uh, for small businesses, fiber is, um, you know, a great selling point. One, uh, one fellow who is heading up reliable energy analytics told me that he used to travel um, at expense of $10,000 $10, per month. And so he's saving literally hundreds of thousands in travel time thanks to the fiber in Westfield. So that concludes my, my part of the presentation. Well, thanks, Mary and Debbie. So this sounds pretty amazing. Uh, so just to get it, everybody's focus on the map, right? This is just right outside of Springfield, Massachusetts. Is that right? So you're west of uh, Boston, kind of center of the state. Does that yes, sound right? Um, it's southwest, southwest uh, part of the state, uh, just 20 miles north of Hartford, Connecticut. And then 
the you know it's kind of amazing so the they didn't weren't able to get broadband from their current providers um so the utility stepped up and basically created whip city fiber and and it sounded like they had a lot of community support to do that is there some inherent benefits that you saw from the utility putting up i mean because obviously the you know the utility had the poles the right away you know so and it seems like they were able to get everybody served fairly quickly absolutely and they had the experience with fiber because they had the uh supervisory control and data acquisition system and also the fiber rings they established in 2005 for the municipal buildings and uh, they'd also had experiences their own isp by using lease lines from uh, new england telephone and, and a couple of other incumbents and i think they made the best of what they of what they had they actually had employees from uh westfield gas and electric manning the the desks at whip city fiber sort of doing double duty and they had loaned them internally the $2 million to get started, but any any revenue that comes in from Whip City Fiber goes automatically back into the project. So I think they've really done a, a fantastic job of working with their with their strengths. So we saw in Chattanooga, you know, with EPB, the utility putting fiber out, that not only um, was able to have that, as Debbie said, 9,500 net new jobs, um, but they also were able to save a lot of money from a smart grid modernization perspective, um, like a half billion dollars a year from major weather events from electricity. Also, they haven't had to have a rate hike on their utility, their electricity for seven years. Did you see any kind of benefits um, with Whip City and WG&E? Uh, not specifically. That I, I, I actually don't know the answer to that question. Um, I know that they continue to, um, you know, be profitable, and Whip City Fiber is profitable. So that would be yeah, kind of what you're saying is in the Chattanooga, you know, you're not allowed to subsidize the broadband from your electric utility, but you can use the broadband revenue to subsidize your electric. Oh, I, so, I know. Yeah. Yeah. So it seems like that would be real beneficial for um, a power utility to be able to subsidize you know keep the i think mike render shows charts showing that all utility prices have been going up with everything else while broadband you know continues to go down at a cost per megabit so it seems like that there'd be a great opportunity what is the service level now they're offering at whip city uh they have a symmetrical single gig <clears throat> the gig symmetric and how much is that um it's 79 dollars a month i think uh for just the standard and the biz they have several tiers for business. So I believe that they charge $69.95 a month for re residential gigabit fiber broadband. Uh, Comcast, by the way, charges $79 for residential cable broadband at speeds that are less. Now, what I've seen in other communities is when you offer, like the same thing here, I'm in Huntsville, Google Fiber from Huntsville Utilities, and this, you know, the incumbents, the cable and telco incumbents weren't going to provide fiber for some time. But then as soon as Google Fiber came in, everybody had fiber. Are you seeing any kind of response, competitive response from cable and others to up their game now that, you know, people can get 
um, a gig symmetric from Whip City? Uh, I haven't I haven't heard of anything like that. I know that Comcast still has quite a foothold there. And what would, as far as there must be, you know, as people move to, are they seeing a big influx of um, net moves in for, you know, people now that can move from Boston and Hartford and these other expensive cities and have access to the same jobs? It looks like your data showed. Are you, yes. Is there more people moving in and the economic um, impact for the whole community going up? I think that's happening specifically in the partner communities. I think that they're seeing um, a real resurgence in interest in people moving there and in the ability to sustain their education and, and business uh, networks. And so I, I think that that's really, you know, been especially for the um, for the outlying communities a, a big boom. Well, Mary and Debbie, really appreciate uh, the work you're doing and helping determine the economic impact that fiber is making in these communities across our nation. So thanks everyone for joining us today. And I look forward to getting back together next Wednesday. We're gonna be discussing unlicensed wireless. Is it suitable for closing the digital divide? This is with Larry Thompson, um, the CEO of VantagePoint. And he's gonna discuss a recent white paper he developed looking at the limitations of unlicensed wireless as it relates to investment from public funds such as B. So you're not gonna to wanna to miss that. Larry's always a popular guest. So we'll see you guys next Wednesday on Fire for Breakfast. Thanks everyone.